Well, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to the chapter of Luke chapter 2, and we will continue our series looking at the songs of Christmas. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 21. In those days, Caesarea Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that, you will, that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. And you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men in whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he'd been conceived. Anybody willing to be picked on who's from Ontario? <laughs> okay. Um, the, the next slide you're going to see is a notice of assessment. And so there's, there's a... There's a bad announcement that comes out. And so the first few verses are actually an announcement that comes from Caesar Augustus, a notice of tax assessment. And so if you're from Ontario, where from in Ontario? Okay. How long would it take you to drive to Ontario from... Oh, wow. Okay, there we go. How long would it take you to drive there from here? Four days. Okay, not bad. Anybody... From Quebec or the Maritimes? All right. How long would it take you to drive? Where are you from and how long would it take you to drive? 
Montreal, how long would it take you to drive there? 55 hours. Okay. Suppose our government, in all their wisdom and taxation, told one of you two fine people that you had to go back to where you're from. You couldn't fly. You had to drive. You had to drive back there so that you could satisfy your notice of assessment. Good news or bad news? Really bad news. Yeah? Bad news. Cost you a lot of money to get there. A lot of time. A lot of effort. But did you know that that's exactly what Mary and Joseph are facing? They are being challenged. And the next slide gives a little bit of a, an idea of, of the route and the journey. It, uh, it looks simple enough. It's about 176 kilometers. I checked it on Google Maps. Um, uh, that particular route. And that's the route that they would take. 176 kilometers, but they didn't get to drive. They had to walk. How far can you walk in a day? I know how far I can comfortably walk in a day. About 25 kilometers. I've done it for some long-distance trekking. My wife and I, that's one of our ideas, perverse ideas of holidays that we go and we take these long walks. But 25 kilometers in a day and I'm spent. So that puts me at seven days to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, add to that, Mary has a unique situation, doesn't she? She's pregnant. And we would presume she's nine months pregnant. I know when my wife was nine months pregnant, car rides, not pleasant. Walking, not pleasant. We don't know how Mary and Joseph got to Bethlehem. Walking, did she ride a donkey? We don't know that. We guess that, but perhaps not. But riding a donkey at nine months pregnant for seven days? No wonder the baby was born, right? No. Um, but, but seriously, difficult. The next slide is going to show you something else. Part of the, the, the next challenge is elevation. Um, through that little detour that they took through along the Jordan River, they actually go below sea level, minus 850 feet, and just before they get to Jerusalem, they have to climb up 27. So the next slide gives you a little bit. I did some calculations. They start in Nazareth at 1,800 feet above sea level. They drop to 850 below sea level, which isn't terrible, and then they go up from 850 up to 2,500 Again, an arduous, arduous climb. And that's the bad news. There's this route that they take. And what would your response be if you got that notice of assessment for taxation? Oh, good, more tax, right? We all love taxes. None of us really enjoy taxes. Every time we see a shift in the, the, the way the taxes are being done, whether it's a, a carbon tax or a GST or uh, income tax or provincial sales tax, anytime those change, we're never thrilled about it. And it's almost certain that Joseph has to go to Nazareth to register with the Roman government for the purpose of additional taxation. What bad news. And it's going to take him seven days to get there and seven days to get home, plus his wife 
is incredibly pregnant. What a challenge. So what would your response be? I know what mine would be. I would instantly denounce the Roman government on social media. I would, I would call them illegitimate. I would call them intrusive. I would call them corrupt. And I would consider refusing to comply. Wouldn't you? Would they notice that I didn't show up in Nazareth? Would they really know? Because I'm going there to register. If I didn't show up to register, could they actually find me? Would they know? Interesting temptation. But you know, the text is really simple. It just simply says, so Joseph went. This bad news comes, and he goes. It's simple, remarkable obedience to the vicious rule of the Romans. Interestingly enough, through Luke, you've seen a number of things. An angel announces to Mary she's going to be pregnant. Joseph's upset. An angel appears to him in a dream and says, don't be afraid to take Mary to be your wife. Later, we're going to see a Joseph will appear to Joseph, an, an angel will appear to Joseph and tell him to flee to Egypt to escape Herod. And then eventually an angel will come and say it's safe to come back home. But nobody, no angel shows up to tell Joseph and Mary to head from Nazareth to Bethlehem. The Romans do it. And again, you have to ponder that. What is going on? The journey to Bethlehem, to Na or from Nazareth to Bethlehem, was at the command of the Roman authorities. Caesar Augustus is flexing his sovereignty. He's in charge. He's the boss. He's telling everybody what has to happen. Now, one of the interesting questions, did Mary and Joseph know that Jesus had to be born in Bethlehem? Now, we know that, but there's no indication in the text in, in Luke and anywhere else until the, the wise men, the magi, show up in, in Jerusalem looking for the king, and the scholars kind of debate this, and they say, well, no, the king needs to be born in Bethlehem. It's possible that it was not widely understood that Jesus needed to be in Bethlehem. So the bad news, Roman decree for a census, but it fits into God's plan. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that, I mean, that should cause us to pause the next time the government suggests something for us to do to change our behavior. Not saying they're right. Okay, I'm not. But it leaves us with a tantalizing question about government authorities and God working through them to accomplish his purpose. Isn't that just something pebble in the shoe to worry about. That's the bad news announcement. The good news announcement, we come into to, to Luke 8, 20, uh, chapters, Luke 2, verses 8 to 21. The shepherds are out in their fields, and it's dark. Perhaps they see that star that the, the wise men are following, or will follow, or we don't know. But they're out, and it's pitch black. They're there. It's likely cold. When the sky is clear, the night is cool. And then, all of a sudden, the angel appears. And we see in the next slide that uh, the angel is there. And the, the, 
the, I love the King James version of it and says, they were sore afraid, right? They were sore afraid. That's almost like being so afraid that it hurts, right? I mean, they were afraid. They were terrified because an angel appearing is not always good news. Sometimes angels bring news from God that nobody really wants to hear. And so the angel says, fear not. I bring you good news. That's a relief. Good news. The word good news is the word where we get uh, evangelize and evangelical. Because as, as, when we evangelize, we are telling people the good news about Jesus. And that's where we've derived exactly right. And so this is the beginning of evangelism, in a sense, where the good news about Jesus is being portrayed. Do not be afraid. I bring you news that will bring great joy. This is the joy candle that was lit this morning. We've talked a little bit about joy. In fact, joy, it's interesting in the, uh, the ancient literature when uh, the scholars kind of go through this stuff, they look at the pagan literature and they, they, they study vocabulary and word use and then they study Christian literature and word use. And the word joy is almost completely absent in pagan literature. They didn't have it. But when they look at Christian literature, all of a sudden they go, there's a word that pops up in there quite frequently, and it is joy. And the interesting thing is, both sets of people are living in the same environment. They've got the Romans, they've got the oppression, they've got, they've got all things going on, and yet one group of people are downtrodden, beaten down, suffering. And another group experiencing the same things is now finding joy. I think it was expressed so nicely with the, the, the announcement of the death of their two brothers that it's sad, but deeper. There's a hope and a joy that underlies that. It's incredible. It's something that through Jesus we have. And so the angels are announcing this good news that is going to bring joy. And the heavenly host all of a sudden appears. And every time there's an uh, announcement, particularly in, in, in Luke 2, we see um, uh, praise and then we see obedience. We see praise and obedience, praise and obedience. And so the, the heavenly host, one of the first things that takes place is there's this announcement of the birth by a single angel. And the next slide kind of is a, an artist's depiction of what it might have been like that, that once that announcement is made, the heavenly host breaks out in praise. And most likely song, singing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those upon whom God's favor rests. Do you feel favored by God? Do you think the, do you think the, the, the shepherds felt favored by God? They might have because now angels told them something special that maybe no one else has heard. They feel something of God's favor, that God has given them something. And it's a story 
and a proclamation, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those upon whom his favors rest. Now, there's something in the ancient world called Pax Romana, which is called the Roman peace. And the Roman government really wasn't about peace. They were about control and oppression and management. And so when they came into uh, the, the Jewish nation, they weren't there to provide peace, to go like, hey, you know what, we're peacekeepers, we're going to look after you, everything's going to be fine, don't worry. They came in and they conquered them and they suppressed them. And the idea of Roman peace was no insurrection, no backtalk, no, no, just everybody goes about their business, but you, you're, you're under our control. And we've got our grip on you. And, and they did it ruthlessly. If you stepped out of line, this whole idea of crucifixion that we, we see where Jesus suffers crucifixion, that was their way of dealing with non-peaceful people. It was brutal. But when the angels are talking about peace, they're talking about a different kind of peace. They're talking about this, again, this joy, but this, this deep-seated well-being in which everything works the way God intended it to work, it functions as if it was the way it should have been in creation. Everything's working right, and it's good. There's a well-being. And so this is a different kind of peace. It's not the Roman peace that's done through oppression. It's a peace that's done through joy and hope in the presence of God. And it's incredible. And so now the, the angels have proclaimed this. They've proclaimed glory to God. There's peace uh, to people, and they disappear. They're gone. And the shepherds are left with a question. I wonder what we should do. But they've been already given a hint. that You will find the baby wrapped in strips of clothing, lying in a manger. Now, the strips of clothing is interesting because all babies are wrapped that way. Except at the end of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is once again going to be wrapped in strips of cloth when he's laid in a tomb. So that's some really interesting writing from Luke. But the other piece, being laid in a manger, is quite an interesting, different piece of what's taking place. And so they're given an opportunity to do something. They've, they've been exposed to the praise, and it's going to come back to obedience. And they're thinking about it. And they're thinking about this because they've been out in the dark. They've seen the angels. And now they're doing something. In fact, Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2, talk about the difference that's going to take place. There will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those land, living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And there's this, this passage is, is the prophecy, or one of the prophecies for Jesus' birth. And... There's no more gloom. So the, the, the shepherds were intended to look for Jesus. They were given the clue that he's in a manger. And so um, they left their sheep. There was some risk with that. They took some effort to find the right manger because you know what? There's probably more than one sheep in and around Bethlehem. And a manger was the feeding trough. Uh, the next slide shows a picture of uh, of one particular kind of a manger. It's, a, it's carved out of stone, and they would put some feed in there, and the sheep would eat. Uh, not the uh, ideal crib for your child, but 
that is what it is. And the next slide shows a, a depiction of what a, a, an early home would be. And so some of the homes, this is how they were laid out. The people lived upstairs. The animals lived on the main floor. It would change the uh, ambiance and the uh, odor of your home some. But that's how it was because it kept your animals secure. And so it's possible that Mary and Joseph were in one of these kinds of situations down where the animals were, having no other place to be, and laying the child in a manger. Well, how many homes in Bethlehem? No clue. How many mangers in Bethlehem? No clue. How long did it take the shepherds to find Jesus? No clue. But in obedience, they go and they search because they're responding to the message of Jesus, the praise of the angels to obedience. And so as they obey, they find Jesus. And what do they do after they find Jesus? It goes back from obedience to praise. And they're praising the Lord for what they're, they've done and what they've seen. Mary has an interesting response. She sees all this taking place. She's, she's been exposed to a lot more uh, information from the angels and taking place. But now I think it, it perhaps dawns on her that this is exactly what God's will is to be, to be in Bethlehem. Because I imagine that Mary and Joseph might have had conversations on their seven-day journey from Beth or Nazareth to Bethlehem. Do we really have to do this? Do we really have to do this? And then they arrive. The baby's born. The angel's announcement, the angelic chorus, the shepherd's coming, and all of a sudden, everything starts to fall into place. This is what God, in fact, had intended. And by the time we get to the end of our passage, we see a little piece that Simon read. At the eighth day, they took Jesus, they had him circumcised, and they named him Jesus. Luke 1, we were told that that was to be his name. The obedience is that they named him exactly as God had told them. And within the covenant of, of Israel, they kept him as a covenant person in Israel. And so the male circumcised was part of that obedience, and it goes. So as we think of our responses, we'll go back to the slide of the angel chorus. But we, our response, as we think about the announcement of Jesus' birth, as we think about what the angels have done, there's, there's the announcement of the angels, but the question is, is that we have an invitation to yet again give praise and glory to God for Jesus. Now, that's easy at Christmas for most of us as we are followers of Jesus. That's something that's inherent in our nature, that we want to give praise. But again, this is the invitation for you to continue to praise the Lord for the birth of Jesus. And praise is always followed by obedience, and obedience praised, and it goes through that cycle over and over again. And the peace and the well-being that we have is something that we can share. I'm going to invite the worship team to come and to, to prepare to, uh, to lead us in the next song. And uh, there is good news. And there is joy. In fact, the Greek word for joy is kara. And you don't need to remember that. It's a theological idea that comes to us. But one of the derivatives of the word kara is called Eucharist. 
And Eucharist is what some people in their tradition call communion. So it may be appropriate for you this morning as one of your acts of thanksgiving, of worship, of praise, you may choose to, in an act of thanksgiving, participate and to celebrate through the Eucharist, through communion, giving thanks to Jesus. The team is going to sing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, and it's a song of deep yearning. It's one where there's this longing for what God might and could and would do, and it's answered in the chorus of the angels that, that there is good news, and there is glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to those upon his, whose his favor rests.